0: Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. First and foremost, how are you doing? This pandemic is absolutely nuts and I figured it was about time we had a bit of an episode more focused on mental health and well-being for artists in times of uncertainty than maybe our typical episode. So with that in mind, I reached out to someone who is really, really passionate about mental health, not only for artists, but just humans in general, and um, wanted to see if she was willing to hop on the show and talk about it. It is artist extraordinaire Loish. I have so much respect for her. Um, and her brain is beautiful. What a rad human. Um, So we ended up talking a lot about some fun stuff to kind of take our minds off of what's going on, which I think is gonna be a really fun change of pace, but also uh, took us in a lot of really fun, interesting directions. Not only that, but during the second half of the show, we went ahead and just dove right into those hard questions that a lot of us are wrestling with right now, especially artists who rely on their art for their income and um, i so appreciated that lois was incredibly honest and real and she always is it's nice to know that we're not alone in feeling a lot of the things we're feeling right now I know personally I can be a bit of an avoider, so it was really nice to have a reminder that hey, it's okay to think about these things. As a matter of fact, it's actually healthy. So I'm not gonna spoil it all. I want you to be able to hear um, everything we talked about during today's episode. Before we get started though, definitely check out the show notes and follow Loish on Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, whatever your platform of choice is. Personally, I'm a proud Patreon supporter of hers. She's gonna be doing a workshop in the upcoming days to talk about workflow. You aren't gonna wanna miss it. Alright, I'm gonna get out of the way now so you can hear today's episode with artist Loish. Loish, Good to be Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Whatever you. day it is. I'm glad to hear that you're surviving the apocalypse, okay, and that you and your loved ones so far are, are all right. Thank you for, for hopping on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Um before we jump into some fun questions around mental health, because I'm really grateful that you're willing to kind of dive into that side of things because a lot of artists these days are kind of at a loss for what to do, how to stay healthy. Um, so I'm excited to jump into that. But I wanted to do some fun questions. The most important question of all, really, is around Tiger King. <laughs> I hope Tiger you've King. seen it. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's it's It uh, seems to be all the rage. But um, the, the most important question, of course, is did Carol kill her husband? I don't think she did. I don't think she did. I think she did. No. I think that that's like, I think
1: there's a theory that like, um, That that guy, Jeff, is that his name? Jeff with like the little, you know, the guy who takes down the Tiger King is her husband. What? (laughs) Did you hear that theory? No. You put two pictures of them next to each other no I really think that he got sick of everything and just vanished like I was watching it and I was like this guy did a disappearing act he was just tired of the pressure and people he had a lot of money apparently he just wanted to disappear and like just like cut all ties and start over I think he's on an island somewhere I think he's he's laughing his ass off at this whole like debacle I don't think he got fed to a tiger. That I think Carol's got some shady stuff, but True. I don't think that she killed him.
0: I was listening. Uh, I have a podcast I really love called My Favorite Murder, and um, they were doing a recap yeah, to- too. Oh, whoop! SSPG Young <laughs> Girl. I love it. Yeah. And I, heard- I watched Tiger King with a group of My Favorite Murder fans. Like, no we're in a
1: WhatsApp together, the Netherlands, That's and then we watched it at Netflix party. What? It was really fun.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. because yeah. you guys just have like uh, opinions across the board of whether or not she oh, yeah. did it?
1: We had like a whole chat thing on the side, That's and every amazing. yeah, like the first episode, every every message was just like, "What really? What is happening? What is going on? It's I'm confused." Real life.
0: <laughs> that is crazy, and I loved hearing that uh, Karen and Georgia both had differing opinions. It was it's amazing. By the way, they yeah. went, they came to the Netherlands. Not too long ago, right? Did you get to go when they, I think yeah. they did. No way. Yeah. Did you yeah. Meet them? I went to the live show. Yeah, <gasps> for sure. I would never miss it. Oh, I'm so jealous. It was so good. Yeah. That's it was amazing. Awesome. I, I have the biggest crush on Karen. She is amazing. Just the coolest. Yeah, Karen, and and of course, Georgia is amazing. The sweet. I thought heart. it was funny because
1: usually I'm more a fan of Karen because like she's such a good voice and I love how she analyzes things. And, but in the book, I like Georgia more because she's she's really like she's so honest and open it was something really special I didn't even like in the book I is the first time that I noticed how I don't know how open she is
0: they're they're just the coolest I when I need a really good solid laugh that's kind of where I go I just yeah. love their sense of humor yeah that's yeah, same. awesome Girl, SSDGM forever. Yeah, I uh, love it. SSDGM. <laughs> so, my follow-up question to that, I think, is so interesting that you think she didn't, and I honestly think that's probably the truth. But for some reason, you know, we all love to pass judgment on other humans, right? <laughs> if yeah. you had to spend a month at one of the uh, menageries, which one do you mm. think you would uh, spend a month at?
1: I don't know. You know, they all seemed awful. Um, like. You know, Joe's would have been a place where you would get, like, shot by a random person or bitten by a tiger for sure. So not Joe's place. And the other, the culty one, was awful. Just awful. That guy. Now, it would have to be Carol's, but I can imagine, like, it would be so exhausting to be there, you know? She doesn't even know the names of half her volunteers. Like, it's so depressing. I don't know how
0: she gets that loyalty out of people. I was shocked at how hard they had to work just to get different colored shirts. I mean... Whatever yeah. she's got going, she's a, she's a mastermind behind it. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: guess I would want to go. I would want to go to like the creepy, like, um, oh God, what's his name? You know, the culty one. Just duck, to experience, because right? I have like a weird fascination with cults. So I'd Ooh. love to see the dynamics taking place, like yes. fly on the wall situation. You know, it's that that whole subculture is fascinating hopefully we get it but to me as a as a european i'm like shocked that it's even possible because that's not allowed here i mean no way you know zoos are already like zoos are questioned a lot here i mean a lot there are zoos but like there's a lot of discussions to how ethical that is and then let alone something as insane as a big cat big cat farm or whatever you call it it's
0: mind-blowing How is it allowed?
1: And it's two, two grand for
0: tiger. Are
1: you serious?
0: America's real screwed up. We're just, we're just real screwed up.
1: How do you even get away with like, first of all, having like a bunch of tigers and stuff, and second of all, like feeding them expired Walmart meat? Like
0: how? Shouldn't there be some, I don't know, standards for their care? (laughs) There totally should be. And also the hypocrisy between the groups really blew my mind. The fact that each group thought that they were the only one doing the right thing and everyone else was doing it the wrong way. That kind of was. That was shocking. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so glad you saw the Tiger King and I'm so glad (laughs) that uh, that we know where you stand because that's super important right now. Um, hopefully, I don't know. I'm having a hard time finding a good show on Netflix. But right now, I have so many subscriptions that I'm hopping around and trying to find the next big thing. So I guess we'll see what happens. It's
1: I don't crazy. think we'll ever get anything like Tiger King. I, I agree. Anytime again. It's... Have you ever, do you know Louis Theroux? I don't think so. Okay, so he did – so this is like a throwback because he had this show a while ago, like 20 years ago. Um, But it's called Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends. And he's like – Louis Theroux is awesome. He's he's an interviewer who – Uh, just like he, for now he does very serious documentaries, like on super serious and depressing topics. They're very good, but just kind of bummers. But, um, like his old show, Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends, he used to find all these wacky subcultures and he actually did an episode with Joe Exotic ages ago. And he also, he, he, he finds all these weird subcultures of like, you know, people who are like deep into that subculture. So like swingers, uh, people who are like really into plastic surgery, like all sorts of like, and, and then he hangs that's out amazing. with them and tries to sort of get into their lifestyle as much as possible, but it's kind of funny. So that's amazing! It, you should definitely like, you out. should download all of that girl. and just binge watch it. Cause if you haven't seen weird weekends, like you are in for a treat. It's so good. That's it's amazing. so amazing. That's
0: a, that's a good pro <laughs> tip right there. I'm, ta- I'm taking yes. some notes doing good stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sweet
0: action memes, girl. I love it when you post memes, because it's like, it's like a a beautiful selection. (laughs) Where do you go for your memes these days? What's, what's keeping you floating and and laughing?
1: Oh, man, the memes are like, really getting me through because I I was super depressed about the whole thing, like in early March, you know, like really hit me hard. Um, And then my big sister was like, uh, she lives in Canada and we talk a lot on WhatsApp and she was like one of the only people that really shared my extreme anxiety because everybody else was sort of in a, in a state of like, oh, it'll be okay. Like, it's not that bad yet. You know, it's, it'll, it'll be under control or whatever. And I was like one of the only people in my immediate environment who was like, no, this is not under control and it's not going to be okay. And my big sister felt the same. And she was like, She just one night sent me a ton of memes and I was like, oh my God, this is helping so much. like the only thing that's helped for like a week of just constant anxiety. So after that, I like, I just started looking them up more often because it's like, it's seriously been one of the only things because I'm somebody that copes with anxiety by like really diving into it, you know, like people who are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just dealing with it by focusing on other stuff, like good for them i can't do that like i can't let it go right now um so for me the memes is a way of like looking looking for something lighthearted while still being in the topic because that's if i if i try to find complete distraction from the topic it still feels it still gnaws at me you know what i mean like i can't fully let it go so um so i'm getting the memes from like reddit and twitter my big sister sends me a bunch every now and then and, yeah. It's, it's been like the only light in this horrific situation. I'm a black humor type of person as yes, well. So girl.
0: no you love <laughs> my favorite murder, totally relate. <laughs> yes, <definitely>. totally relate. <laughs> no, that finding the humor in it, that's, that's a lifesaver. Um, my sister she lives in London and it's been kind of the same thing. Whereas she had access to a lot of data really early and was like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> like yeah. get ready, Hannah. Um, yeah. And quite honestly, I, it took me a little while to get there. Um, yeah. but hearing her say that, and she's got kids and she's preparing and, and she's going home, yeah. um, started to kind of give me a reality check in a really good way. And so it's been interesting yeah. and we we're close, but we don't talk super frequently. Um, but mm-hmm. we've definitely been talking so much more frequently and kind of sharing like TikToks and memes and whatnot yeah. with each other to get through. I love, yeah. I love it's so that. therapeutic to have oh, somebody who like
1: understands, has like, the anxiety but knows you know like I let her be anxious sometimes and she lets me be anxious but we try to help each other through and we get each other's coping skill That's when fantastic. it comes to this stuff
0: have you guys always been close
1: no we hated each oh, other no. in our childhood yeah she was wow. like my number one like enemy in my life she was like my nemesis my nemesis nemesis
0: turned friend <laughs>
1: yeah. Friend of me she went to college so she's my big sister she's like four years older than me as soon as she left um you know the family home and went to college we started becoming friends but before that we like hated each other deeply like we would just glare at each other from across the room i'm like i
0: hate you oh (laughs) man that's hard nobody can get under your skin like a sibling right oh for sure especially psychological
1: warfare we weren't allowed to hit each other you know so we would like we would think of psychological (laughs) Mm, methods. Game of Thrones going on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Was
0: there a big age gap?
1: Yeah. I was four, my big sister's four years older than me and my little sister's uh, four years younger than me. So.
0: Oh. Did you find that, and this is just sibling fun times, Um, did you have a harder time getting along with your older sister in particular and it was easier to get along with your younger sister or was it uh, just difficult? Sure. Okay.
1: My little sister was, like, just a lot, I don't know, I don't, like, I think just a lot more easygoing mm-hmm. as a kid. And my big sister was like super mean. And How um, she? she was really mean, but I, I like, I now I see that she was going through, she was having yes. a really hard time. Yes. You know? But like, um, I don't know. Like she, she was like, my big sister generally is just somebody who does things her own way. And my little sister was just much more like she looked up to me. Right. So I could kind of like, Mold her thinking, and you know what I mean. I could be like, Caitlin, I'm gonna teach you how to draw, and then she would like get into drawing, and I'd be like, This is awesome, you know. Um, but my big sister was never interested in anything that I wanted to do, so
0: rude, yeah, yeah, (laughs) rude. I know, (laughs) doesn't she know I'm the center of the universe, (laughs) middle child for real? (laughs) Oh man, Um, that was weird growing up, but but I get along with both of them now, they're both really like good friends of mine. That's really cool, I love it. Um, Something I really appreciate about you, and I hope this isn't creepy, but as I've, you know, again, trying to do research and kind of observe you and hear you talk and a little bit about your philosophy of life, it seems like you have a really good read on people, like you're a good people reader, but also maybe a little bit introverted, but that's me making an assumption. Um, Mm -hmm. So my next question is, what's the first thing you notice about someone when you meet somebody new? You know, is it something about their physical appearance? Is it something about their vibe? the way they treat other people. I'm curious, what's the first thing that stands out to you?
1: I've never really thought about that. Um, but usually just like their um, their openness, I guess. Like I really connect to people based on how much they're willing to tell about themselves. Like people who have a wall up and they wanna like, especially like in the art industry, people who just wanna talk about their art and their work. Like I just feel like, all right, there's, I just lose interest quickly. And people who talk about like their vulnerabilities or something they're struggling with or give like personal information really quickly, I very quickly feel a bond. So I'm always kind of checking, testing when I meet someone like how how open are they? That's something I'm always looking for. Um, yeah, and their vibe, I guess. Just their overall like aura. <laughs> oh, mm,
0: that's delicious. the first thing i noticed i love it.
1: <laughs> the aura what color is it what flavor
0: <laughs> <laughs> getting Just some kidding. orange notes mm, <laughs> love it do you do you feel here here's something that i observed at lightbox um, we we spoke very very briefly and and it was beautiful and I, one thing I, I really noticed about you was as each person was coming through the book signing was you were really trying to connect with people and these wonderful fans beautiful people do not want to speak ill of anyone but a lot of them were just kind of looking for that quick picture and that <laughs> and that uh-huh. signature and they weren't necessarily sort of following your lead always when you're like asking them about their day or what they're enjoying or who what artists have they seen that they're really excited about. Have you found that with success, it's been harder and harder to connect with people just on a human level and and kind of do people go there with you? And is that challenging sometimes?
1: Um, well, I've actually felt like I'm getting more and more connections with people than ever That's before cool. in my life. Sweet. Yeah. Um, cause like, for me, it's so easy to connect with people at events like that because we're That's all cool. there for the same reason, totally. like we're all there to appreciate art and we're all like, you know, trying to find our best creative selves. So there's already like something in common. Um, and before this, you know, like, I don't know, before I really build up an art career, it was harder to connect with people. Like I had a hard time in high school, you know? Um, I had a couple of super close friends, but I found it really hard to just get along with most people, especially at my school. I was just like, I was one of those like angry teenagers. Like I hate everyone kind of people. Yeah, and I really did hate everyone. I was just like, people would be like, you know, oh, sports, cheerleading or whatever. And I'd just be like, who are you? You know, like what? are you? Like Lucky I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get people. I didn't get, uh, I found it really hard to connect with people and, um, and I felt quite isolated. And then when I got into the art community and like, uh, got into events, especially cause events is something quite new for me. So I started doing that. Like I started teaching workshops in like 2016 or something. And then before that I was actually quite on my own. Um, but when I started doing the workshops and, and, and live demos and stuff and talking to people at those events, it's the first time that I realized, like, we all have something in common and, and I can talk to – I feel confident talking to everyone and everybody has something oh, that they can share, I love that. you know.
0: That's, that's so really lovely.
1: Yeah, and some people are just very shy, I've noticed, as well. So, like, those people who don't want, really want to talk about how their experience is, they just want the quick picture. Often they're, like, kind of scared to talk or they're just sort of like – they, they don't really know, or they get nervous. And that is like something I totally, I totally understand that. Cause I used to be that person I used to be, you know, I had like my career and my art as like central to my identity. I also didn't really know what to say to a lot of people. So I definitely like uh, relate to to people who are just like okay I just I'm here for my photo and then I actually don't know what else I have (laughs) to say
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm malfunctioning right now which is which I totally feel for too that's really cool a follow-up question to the previous question would be if you see if you were to see a fictional measuring scale above people's heads especially as you get to know them a little bit um what would you want that scale to measure or what do you start to I don't like the word judge, but I guess for lack of a better term, judge people on as time goes on in terms of whether or not they're a person you want to spend a lot of time and energy getting to know.
1: Um, well, I've noticed it's like the, the only thing that really repels me, like I get along with most people and I, I generally like don't really have, whereas in high school I like hated everybody. Right. And now I'm like, I don't really easily hate anyone very quickly at all. Like I get along with almost everybody, but the thing that I really don't like about people that like repels me from people sometimes is if they are like have an ulterior motive or they're like trying to, um, like you talk to them and then you find out that they're just like really it's a long sales pitch for what they do, or they're like trying to get you involved in some kind of vendetta against somebody else. Or like, you know, that the reasons for interacting is like to to win something or gain something at your expense. So I think that like, if I could met, if I could see what somebody was about before getting to know them, I would want to know like how, how authentic is this person in their, sort of like desire to talk to someone because I also I have a lot of like you know I I generally like never I don't feel like I get treated that differently for having like a lot of followers but sometimes I do notice that some people are like talking to me only because I have a lot of followers and then I'm like okay this is oh like what do you want from me you know what I mean and then I feel like it was a waste of time that's something I experience at events like that sometimes. sure
0: sure that's fair darn it humans (laughs)
1: Yeah, people are going to be people. I think it's that way. You know, and I I also get a lot of social interaction at those events. And a lot of people go to events with a goal, you know, to promote something that they do or to like make some kind of connection or push some kind of view. And it's understandable, but I just, that's not why I'm there.
0: Sure. My next question I'm really actually super, super interested to know um, what do you do differently or maybe how do you approach things differently than most other people do?
1: I have no idea. <laughs>
0: uh, you'd have to be more specific, I think, with that. Maybe maybe let's let's talk about creativity. Let's say okay. um, when it comes to making stuff or creating stuff or being an artist, is there something that you do that you find a lot of other artists either don't relate to or they just tend to do it a very different way? I guess. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, so creatively, I, um, when I draw for myself, I try to, like, I've, I've created a workflow for myself, where I try to minimize stress as much as possible. And I, I, I try to like be really easy on myself and just enjoy the process for what it is usually because I'm, when I draw for myself, it's like a, you know, a little vacation away from drawing for work. So I just want to go with the flow and enjoy it and just also be when it's done it's done just let it go. So when artists are talking about how like art is suffering and how hard it is and how like all of the self-doubt and frustration and also wanting to push yourself all the time to be better um when artists talk about that I don't always relate because I I'm kind of like I just like to draw f- you know I try to enjoy it as much as possible and I also like if it gets to a point where it's like I have to do, I have to like hate my own art and push myself to change what I do. I just wouldn't want to do it anymore, you know? So for me, drawing is a fairly relaxing and enjoyable process. And almost no artists really say that, like that they really like it and that, that it's easy for them or just an easygoing process. Because artists are usually emphasizing how hard it is
0: and how... Yeah frustrating it is art is suffering yes yes that's a good point um have you always felt that way has it always been a bit of a a a relaxing not maybe relaxing is the wrong word but like a, a mental vacation for you or have you found that over time you've been able to get there Um, Well, when I first, like, learned
1: how to draw digitally, when I was getting really into it, um, I was drawing because I really liked it. Like, I really just genuinely enjoyed it. But I was um, always frustrated with my lack of skills, you know, because I really wanted to learn more. So, um, and then when I went to school, like, art school, um, animation, I, I really, like, got a sort of split identity in terms of my artistic self. So, like, I had... One side that was like drawing for fun, which is what I kind of started as a teenager. And then the other side where it was like, I have to draw for school or for assignments or whatever. And I always had teachers that were like, they really frowned upon the kind of stuff that I did in my free time. So they wanted to see me make something completely different during school hours. They didn't want to see any like girly, like detailed painting kind of stuff. So um, so I like I had this side of myself that was like, all right, I'll adapt to what my teachers want. And then later that became what my clients want. And then the other side that's like, I am doing this for me. And not anybody else, but just me. And so I think once I went to school, like that need for something that's enjoyable and easy to do and feels nice became more pronounced because it it was like a kind of side of me that needed to exist so that I could handle drawing for other people who maybe didn't share the same artistic vision as me. Mm.
0: That's super interesting. And I love that people are so clearly so drawn to what you create for fun because it comes from you and, and that's so interesting about art school man some art schools um yeah. when, when Jorge Gutierrez was on he um had a similar experience except his was almost backwards where he was rejected and you've probably heard him tell the story rejected for his Americanized uh pop art portfolio but as soon mm-hmm. as they saw his Um, the one that celebrated his beautiful Mexican roots, they're like, that's it, that that comes from your heart. And, um, and that was a game changer for him. And the fact that some art schools and art teachers don't always celebrate or see that is, is interesting to me. But
1: yeah, I think that, um, I think that also, like, for me, you know, I didn't plan it this way. But I think that people part of what people like about my work. Cause like, I'm definitely not, you know, I don't have the, the best skills. When I look at like other artists, I see that there are much more talented people out there for more versatile can draw like much, like much more technically appealing work. But I think that my work resonates with people because they see that I like it and they see that I am putting my, you know, my own creative self into it and just exploring and having fun. And I, and that's, that's a, a different vibe than like technically perfect art. Totally. You know? Yeah.
0: Preach girl, I'm <laughs> waving my hanky. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a couple more of these kind of more fun questions and there are a couple of them are hard hitting and some of them are not so hard hitting. So um, the Pretty next awesome. one uh, would be, um, if you had to identify three, and it doesn't have to be three, it could be one or two, whatever whatever you vibe on, three descriptive words or feelings that you want everyone to feel when they interact with you, what would those three words be? Okay, me as a person or my art? Yeah, just you as a person. Okay. Or um, your art. I mean, if that if that comes to mind more readily.
1: Because, um, like, for me as a person, I – I find that hard to answer cause I don't really know like how I want people to see me. I'm always just kind of like trying to find out how people see me and learning from it. So I, but I, I do want people to feel like I'm, um, open that you can tell me anything and that you don't have to feel like I'm going to judge you or look down on you for whatever you say. I think that's really important because it's something that I needed it for much of my life like i i spent much of my life afraid to really express myself like my personality because i thought people would be like uh basically have the response that my big sister had my whole life which is just like oh, you're lame you know <laughs> and and now that i'm like a grown up i get to like cultivate an environment around me where that doesn't exist like you can just be yourself like um so that's something that I always strive for. And I also try to strive for that on social media. Cool. Uh, does that answer the question? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I have no, no, Yeah, I don't want to judge people. I don't want to like make people feel like I certain people are okay and others aren't, you know, I I'm open to anybody. Um, I try to understand what people's reasoning and priorities are regardless of who they are or what they do or anything. So I think that's important. I think it's an important starting point as well for interaction, you know, to just be like, just tell me what, what's up with you. What do you want to express also artistically? Right. Cause I teach the workshops and I get people doing all different kinds of art and they're like, what should I do differently? And it's like, I, just do what you want, you know, like do whatever it is you want. Like you have to do it your way. You have to find your thing. I can give you tips and advice, but like don't try to change what you love and what you, what you want to do. That's I spend most of my workshop just telling the students that what they do is okay. The way it is, you know, what that they don't have to like freak out and think that it's bad.
0: What a relief. Yeah. <laughs> right, Yeah. <laughs> it's probably such yeah. a relief for people to hear. Um, because yeah, because people think there's something so fundamentally
1: much. wrong yes. with the stuff that they like, yes. and that's something that I think mm-hmm. is like a big problem. You know, like okay, whether you can translate what you like into a source of income or become a professional is a different story, but whether what you like is okay is it's not an issue. You know, but there's a lot of like gatekeeping in the art community on what is acceptable and what is okay and what isn't. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that actually a follow-up question to a question we just discussed a minute ago if that's cool with you so we we were talking a little bit about how um art for you is is it's an escape it's almost a a mental relief Um, and Mm -hmm. a lot of artists almost thrive on the the struggle and the challenge and the angst and the the pain of it Um, and I can relate (laughs) to both and and I've and um, as time has gone on I've started to just truly see it as an escape I'm no longer trying to make it a career it's just fun Um, Mm -hmm. what do you think is at the heart of ultimately that struggle for a lot of people? Why, why is there, why is it, why does that exist? (laughs) Psychologically, do you think? I think,
1: well, I think that as an artist, you need to be aware of like what areas you need to improve in, right? Like artists are really like, you know, that a lot of people become artists because they see something super inspiring and beautiful and they're like I want to be able to do that and then it's like a long journey to get there and um and you need to like improve your skills you know it's sort of it's a craft in a lot of ways so it's like your technique needs to be you know cultivated and so you you need to grow as an artist by basically you know always aspiring to something to a certain high level and I think that as an artist, you not only develop like your skills, but you develop your taste and the way that you look at other art, the way that you relate to art also evolves and changes. And as your skills improve, like your way of looking at art will also become more refined and you'll see like in other art, like, wow, that's something that I wish I could do. So you're always aspiring to being better than you are because the more your skills grow, the more you'll see art that will, like, continue to inspire you and make you want to level up again and again. So it's, like, part of your artistic growth, I think, to to be aware of, like, your failings, I guess, as an artist and want to be better. But I think that it's a mechanism that spins out of control in a lot of people, especially now when you can get, like, totally overstimulated and see way too much art, see way too many people that are, like your age but better or whatever like social media is is really rough you know on a lot of people in terms of comparing yourself and if you if all you're doing is like comparing yourself and, and thinking like i'm not good enough i need to get better i need to get better it's not good enough you you could short circuit on that completely and become totally blocked you know so there needs to be like a good balance of like aspiring to be better which is normal for any artist i think and then as, as well just accepting yourself as an artist and accepting your ability also accepting that there are limitations to your ability because every artist has some limit Dang you it. know yeah right, but it's true it's
0: so true, no, I, I true. they're like, like yeah
1: there are some really brilliant artists that like you know I mean to take a really like two-dimensional example but like if you take like some kind of amazing creature design I was just watching Lord of the Rings so I'm thinking about like the concept artists that worked on like the orcs and stuff oh, right goodness. Don't ask those people to make like Disney princess designs. There's a limitation to what you can do. Like you become an expert in. Although that would be pretty cool, right? That when are we going to get an orc Disney princess? We need a mashup now. We need. Are there any female orcs? Good question. Aren't there? Wasn't there like a whole part of that? In the there was a description. No, I don't know if I'm confused with like something from Harry
0: Potter. Where do orcs come from? Yeah. Question. That is a great one. How are orcs made? Actually, they're all forged in. That's true. Yeah. Uh, in that deep, dark pit area. Yeah. I can't remember where it's but called. somebody must have made a female orc at some we point. to have. And I kind yeah. of want to see her.
1: Maybe half of them have. are females, but we just don't, like, get that. We, like, read them as male because they're, like, so, like, they're in warrior mode all I the time. I dig
0: this theory. I want point. to know
1: what an orc's daily life is like. I want to know what they eat for breakfast.
0: We need to call J.R.R. Tolkien right now. <laughs> Tolkien, <It's all good. laughs> what what what's up with this? Where's our Wikipedia? I have one question about your franchise. This is very important. What orcs like? <laughs> Gandalf's great and all, and we love Frodo, but we really want to know about the orcs. Dude, if I could go and sit with someone that is no longer with us, an author, I, I love his stuff so much. Oh, yeah, he, awesome. he was brilliant. Orcs, man. Amazing. That's where it's at. Um, a couple more fun questions. One okay. being, you are a brilliant artist, and everyone knows and loves you for what you create. But if you had to spend a year doing no art at all, what What would you actually spend that year doing if if it was going to be a time that you were really gonna enjoy and the sky was the limit what well, I'm curious what you would what you would do
1: mm. well, I mean probably something really corny you know like traveling the world if there were no limitations right then I could do that
0: um do you have your eye on anywhere in particular that you haven't been able to visit yet
1: Well, like, every time I see, I hear that somebody went on vacation somewhere, or I see a documentary about it, or watch a movie set in that place, I'm like, to my boyfriend, I'm like, we should go there. And the list is, like, super long, you know? Like, obviously, New Zealand, Australia, every country in Asia, you know, especially Japan, Africa, I want to go everywhere in Africa, the US, want to travel across the whole US, and Canada, and basically the whole world, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't it. know if I could do it all like in one year because I feel when I travel a lot, I feel very like, um, uh, I don't know, unmoored or something. I feel like, uh, cause I need like my daily structure of working and stuff to stay sane. So maybe I would combine like a world, like traveling the world kind of thing with like writing a book or something. I do really like to write as well. And I like to, I like to have some kind of like project that I'm working on. It makes me feel like I've got something Grounded that I, it makes me feel sane. Yeah. Mm, if I have
0: like nothing to do, I
1: just feel incredibly good. bored. So, yeah. yeah. I
0: think I feel like there is a such thing as too much travel, but I am biased because I grew up mm-hmm. and we moved every single week to a new place. Wow. Um, and say what? Every, every week? week? Every week. <laughs> because How? my dad was a traveling preacher um and so me and my five are six, you homeschooled I was homeschooled all 12 years Oh, uh, that explains it because I was like how did you do that with school how does it because I, I we traveled every four years uh,
1: no we moved every three or four years so we because uh, my dad worked at the Dutch embassy and then we would go to international school and there you'd have people moving all the time so like there was always like uh it was these schools where people were used to a constant like change in every year but that that must have been It
0: was pretty bizarre. And, um, you know, raising five kids in a tiny little space. And my mom is a saint. She truly is a saint. Like she, I, I almost never remember her raising her voice to us and she homeschooled all five of us for all 12 years. So she's teaching five different grades every day. I don't know how she did it. It's, it blows my mind. Um, but, and I know now I'm unraveling some of the psychological impact on, on myself. Yeah. And I'm just now starting to like fully own up to it, and mm-hmm. and and I believe that there is a lot of good that came out of that. I feel like that lifestyle made it easier for me to make friends, just because it was a necessity to be able to sort of break down those walls quickly and be like, we're humans, mm-hmm. let's connect as humans. So I'm grateful yeah. for a lot of it. Blah 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 blah. Um, yeah, it was. In, so now I almost I almost crave roots. And I crave uh-huh. stability and just wanting to kind of be same. in one place. I have the
1: same thing because we moved every three or four years. No like, way. well, we had a more stable situation for sure. Like my but dad still, just had an office one. job, you know? Yeah, we moved a lot and made, had to make new friends every time, which I thought was pretty nice because I would like, you know, get into like, you know, I would like lose interest in the people in my grade. And then I could start fresh and like kind of recraft my identity or whatever. Um. But I uh, also like now I live here in Utrecht and in the Netherlands and I've been living here since 2008 and I live and, and I i don't plan on going anywhere. I just want to live here forever. And people are always like, oh, you've moved around a lot. So where, you know, where do you think you'll settle down? And it's like, I am settled down. Like, I, I have, here. you know, <laughs> it's, My roots, I'm not going anywhere. Them,
0: they're growing into the soil. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I crave that, like the stability of it. And also just like having a stable and predictable life. Uh, because, you know, growing up, it was like just one we went from one place to the next and never really got to know the places that we lived because it, as an international student, you also live in a bubble. You know, I don't know how that was for you, uh, moving around, but probably you, when you went to a new place, you, you knew that you're going to leave anyway. Right. So you just don't really like see, you know, you don't get to know what's happening there. Insulated. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah totally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy girl, man. So now I'm all about those roots, but I still do travel. Travel's awesome. That's cool that you would. Yeah. Yeah. I love
1: traveling for sure. But I, I, I take it. I, I have a totally different mentality now because I used to have this thing, like we would travel somewhere and I would be like, I don't know, just not connected to any of it. Uh, I was like, I mean, I grew up in the U.S. when I was young and that became sort of my standard for like normal life. Like, uh, And, and then we would, we moved to Indonesia and to France and to Belgium. And I, with all these countries, I had something like, I just wanted to be American, you know, I just thought everything was really lame. I thought French people were like, because there's a lot of like French hip hop and French pop music. And I was like, (laughs) they're just trying to be Americans. They're fake Americans. Like I just didn't get it, you know, like I didn't really understand, you know, I thought Like, I just focused on the stuff that wasn't the way that I thought was normal. And now when I travel, I'm always trying to understand, like, why are things different here? Like, what is and it also has to do with meeting my boyfriend, meeting Aryan, because Aryan is like he grew up in one place and he's like so curious and he always tries to understand how things work, you know, so. I always grew up in like a bubble and I only thought about like my own life and my own friends and family and interests. And Aryan is always like trying to understand other people, other things. And we, um, really early in our relationship, cause we met in college, we went to Tanzania together for, uh, we taught animation at an art college in Tanzania that like that art college was just, uh, focused around like traditional arts and they wanted to do more like, um, new media. So we did like a three month animation course there. Um, and me and Arian, we met cause we both studied animation and, and I was just like, well, you know, this is, you know, my dad worked in, um, in, uh, Burkina Faso. So I knew that everything was very different, you know, And I was just like, just accept it. Don't think about it too much. And Arian was like, why? but I want to think about all of it. I was like, How does this work? Like, why do they, well, they have like night markets. Why do they have night markets? And he would ask like everybody about everything. And he learned so much. He made so many friends. He connected with everybody. He was like, he he really, ch- and also like we would have like these cultural miscommunications with other people. Like uh, we had like some coordinators of the group that were like, uh, like on the first night they were trying to like, we, we went to this spot. We were with a group of students from our school and we had to like, we had six students but like three rooms so we needed to like put the people it like they they needed to assign people to the rooms and um they were like really being really indirect and weird about it and we were like "Oh, what I was like oh it's, we'll figure that out and Aryan was like oh what's going on is that they don't understand like uh we have like Um, girls assigned to the rooms, but then one of the rooms needs a couple in it. And they didn't know if me and Aryan were married. We're not, but we pretended to be married. We had rings, right? And they were like, they didn't know how to address it. And in Tanzania, you don't just ask people that stuff. They're very like, they're very indirect. And Mm. also those are very sensitive issues, you know? And we were all like, you were all just like, oh, just just go, just let us choose our rooms. But they were like, we can't let you do that, you know, because this is, like, a sensitive issue. It needs to be handled right. And Aryan was the only one who got it. He, like, sensed the – he has, like, a sixth sense. So when I travel with him, he's always, like, discovering these things, like, about people's traditions and
0: huh, – I'm ranting. He's a, a – no, lot. I love it. He's a good travel <laughs> companion. Oh, yeah,
1: love and he it. taught me so much. About, he was, like, the – when I met him, you know, he, like, made me – because I grew up in a bubble, and he he popped the bubble. Like, he allowed me That's to see great. the world, you know, as, like, something that makes sense and has, like – and that everybody has their own – maybe
0: you saw him as well at Lightbox. I, pr- I probably did see you guys walking around. I don't think we met – I don't think I met him, but I think I did. Occasionally I would see you guys walking the floor, but, of course yeah. – didn't say yeah, hi but
1: because whenever I do like these book signings he's always kind of hovering around trying to help that's and then great. afterwards he's always like yeah did you see that one girl I think she really wanted to say something to you but you were t- you'd like sort of jump to the next person really quickly and he's like psychic like he sensed all these things going on that I don't even notice that that's is why fantastic. He, he helps me out so much
0: I, I love his I work by the way he's, his art's great And uh, yeah, if, well, a couple more fun questions that was great, by the way, that was that was a, a fun, a fun peek into the the mind of someone who doesn't have a lot of roots, which I can very much relate to. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> it's good to know that there are more of us in the world. Um, a couple these are the real hard hitting questions. Okay. What is your favorite quarantine food or sheltering in place oh, food? Mm.
1: I'm struggling between saying what the better food is and Just, what, like, well, maybe one of each.
0: Food. Okay. Like your favorite healthy food and then your favorite, right. like, I need some comfort food.
1: Yeah. Cause like I'm eating apples every day and oranges every day. Sounds really lame. Apples and oranges. But like, I'm all like, okay, we need the vitamins. We need the fibers. We need to get through this time healthy and no packed. scurvy keep the sc- exactly <laughs> <laughs> An apple a day keep corona away but what we're really eating the most we got like a huge huge massive pack full of like those little chocolate eggs oh. for easter and we've been mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and every time i open the, i open our pantry there's like a bunch gone and i'm like <laughs> Did you chocolate? <laughs> Like, I'm blaming him, but it was me, obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. You so framed him for it. <laughs> yeah.
1: and we usually don't eat any, like, candy or cookies or things like that. We, like, never have that in the house. We just, we usually do groceries once a day for, like, what we're going to eat for dinner. We keep it very simple and small, and we don't bring junk food in the house. But now with this whole situation, you know, we try to get, like, a lot of stuff that's, you know, got, like, a very far away expiry date. So we buy cookies because they're good till like 2023, but then we eat them within a week.
0: <laughs> Something about the logic it's there. True. Oh man, I know. I keep finding myself wanting to, um, we tend to buy in bulk because my kids, uh, you know, yeah. they're they're all growing and whew, they are eating me out of house and home. But I find myself like wanting to go grocery shopping constantly. It's like that. I, I feel like I've become a hoarder of food, which is really bad and um, not a, a good thing for my fellow citizens. So I've... I've Resisted the temptation, but it's real. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like, as soon as
1: I started to get stressed about this whole thing, I was like, Aryan, we need to buy a lot of food that's going to last us a long time. And he was like, What? Are you crazy? And then we went out and bought a bunch of pasta, whatever. And yes. then, like, a couple days later, the hoarding started here. So I was like, I'm so happy you we still had flour it. at the grocery stores. Yes. But I must have contributed to it running out as well. So I was kind of guilty.
0: Next follow up question to that would be, um, I always find people's drink choices really interesting. So the first question is, what's your favorite hot beverage, like comfort beverage? And then what's your favorite cold beverage?
1: Okay, well, it's obviously coffee. Um, <gasps>
0: yes, girl. But how do you brew yeah, it? Yeah. And what brand?
1: Well, we have like a coffee machine that like you put the the roast, the, the uh, coffee beans in and then, and water, and then you press on the button and it grinds the beans, like, uh, you know, every time you make coffee, yeah. So it's like freshly ground coffee with minimal work involved. So we just press the button. I saw a meme the other day that was like, uh, Aryan sent it to me. Let's see if I can find it. Every day I make my, co- oh, this is somebody's Instagram story. Every day I make my coffee incrementally stronger and stronger until my heart stops and I die. That's been pretty much our story. Like every day, we add like three cups of coffee to our daily intake, and now we're just assumed we'll be like, it'll be a in an IV going yes, straight into our bloodstream.
0: Right. That's like more. <laughs> more. Oh my and goodness. More. Do you put anything in it? Like, are you a creamer person or a flavor person or just black? Just black. Mm, yeah. That's good stuff. I Thank just, you. I feel so bougie now because <laughs> I broke down. I like the pour-over because it's super mess-free, like, and I'm really a lazy coffee maker. Um, But I got the AeroPress because so many people have talked about it, how it's like the, it's like a merge between a French press and and pour-over. And I have to say, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think yesterday, I don't think I've had three cups of coffee in years. And I'm definitely starting to um, add my tally every day too. So it's pretty great. Oh, that
1: looks pretty awesome by the way. Well, I love the French press coffee. It just, it was just too much work. You and know, like now and all I have to do is press a button. Ugh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I agree. So I, I feel like the AeroPress, it's much easier to clean. It's got a little plunger thingy and you just pop it all okay. out when you're done. It's pretty cool. I definitely recommend it. And it's much less acidic. Nice.
1: Um, it's
0: good stuff. And your favorite cold beverage, darling.
1: Ugh,
0: I'm just somebody who drinks water. Well, that's good. Mm. Isn't that terrible? So
1: Whatever. <laughs> Here it's, in the Netherlands good. as well, like if you go over to somebody's place and they're like, what would you like to drink? And you say water. They're always like, mm. water. Okay. <laughs> who are you? Who even <laughs> are you? I got like all this orange juice and soda. All you want is water. But Yeah, like I, I just don't. I used to drink uh, my, my whole childhood. I just drank soda all the time. Like we had insane amounts of like a Diet Coke and Fanta. For some reason, my little sister was into Fanta and my mom like bulk bought it. And we always had like a ton of, I would drink it in the morning. I would just wow. take the bottle and be like, <laughs> I drank soda. My Gotta get hydrated time.
0: for the day. Yeah. <laughs> oh
1: man. Am I using the right word by the way? Soda. Cause like everybody
0: yeah. in the U.S. Pop, has a different soda. word for it, right? I call it soda, but I did grow up saying pop. So I've yeah. called it both.
1: Definitely Midwestern Coke. pop
0: Coke. <laughs> In the South, of course, they always, they call everything Coke. You want Pepsi Coke, Sprat Coke. Pepsi Coke. <laughs> I love that. That sounds so warm and inviting when I hear <laughs> that. I'm like, yes, I want Pepsi Coke. Yes, and- I do want Pepsi Coke. Where is it? I'm sure Coca-Cola <laughs> loves that. <laughs> oh man! The, where did you grow up? Team.
1: Actually, like what, when I mm. when people ask, did you really move around so much that it's like there's not one place that you can name? Or? I
0: technically say I grew up in Wisconsin only because when we would have stretches of time where maybe my dad didn't have a bunch of meetings, we called them meetings mm-hmm. scheduled. Oh yeah. Um, we would set up camp at, uh, this, it was a camp and a college. So in the summer times it would be a Bible camp. And then in the, during the year it would be a Bible college. So, and they would always give him work. So
1: yeah,
0: and it was in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. Um, so technically I call Wisconsin home, but, um, I don't, yeah, it's weird. I say it, but I also feel like I'm lying every time time I do. I'm like, well, I mean. I, but it's just the easier answer so wisconsin yeah, yeah. midwest okay
1: yeah i get that when i tell people i'm dutch i also kind of feel like a liar
0: because here in the netherlands people are like where are you really from <laughs> you're I'm an from imposter <laughs> <No>. yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh man and i give you a funny look one eye and they're mm, like mm, mm, you drink water we know this, you man, right <laughs> <we> smell it <laughs> <laughs> um i do love though currently we live in washington state in the what we call the pacific northwest of you know the us i do love this area
1: that's the next big trip we want to make me and arian
0: oh well we had a trip to new
1: york planned and then to go to where i lived as a kid which is Falls church virginia but that was canceled because of the coronavirus. but Dang it yeah but i we got all our money back so that's i'm like totally okay with it virginia um,
0: Mm, the east coast do you
1: have a lot of memories of it yeah a lot a lot um yeah I, i lived there from four to eight years old yeah good ones for sure it was super idyllic it was just it was wonderful to live there um but our big trip that we want to do in the u.s next we did like the whole california thing is to um go from like start in portland or in seattle and then like sort of do a huge round trip through oregon and then like come back either start in portland or in and end in seattle or the other way around
0: and does your sister live closer to the west coast (laughs) like would you even be able to does she live in a really cool part of canada i guess is what i'm trying to say i
1: don't know if edmonton is cool not really
0: No, I, I like
1: Edmonton a lot, but it is a bit, I don't know, how would you, what what area of the U.S. could you compare it to? It's very, like, Alberta is, like, you know, very Midwestern kind of area.
0: I, I First of all, I'm loving, I'm loving the wonderful places these questions are going. We have a couple more fun <laughs> ones, and then we'll dive into the psychology. Um, okay. But what are you binging lately besides Tiger King?
1: I'm out of stuff to binge, honestly. Oh, like, no. we, I spent
0: I Last night, I spent
1: about two hours clicking through all of the options on Netflix and deciding that nothing was worthwhile. So I started watching Lord of the Rings this morning. So I think I'm going to get into Lord of the Rings and start watching all the
0: extras again as well. I'm feeling really torn about isn't it Amazon that is remaking Lord of the Rings as a series kind of, I think, a response to Game of Thrones. I, is that necessary? And that's exactly how I feel because I feel like Peter Lord nailed it, and yes, of course J.R.R. Tolkien originally nailed it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have very very mixed feelings about it. But um I've been. I agree. I can't find anything good on Netflix, so I've been turning to like HBO and other places. And in dark corners, I'm finding random stuff that's okay. But I do. I I, I hear you. The struggle is real.
1: Man, yeah, it's also it's just stuff. like the Tiger King fatigue. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like after Tiger nothing King, there's else like nothing else, as up. interesting as that. There's gonna, there's nothing that's like Brood. as weird. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> it's just like how making a murderer, uh, yeah, making a murderer came out, and then like a bunch of series just like it
0: came out after, but nothing was as good. You know? So true. Speaking of me- making a murderer, <laughs> to go down that rabbit trail. That actually is not too far from where I claim home. Oh in right. Wisconsin. And oh, that so gives me an image of what kind of place it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um and so when I would watch it I would almost get like these really not so fun flashbacks like, Yes, I've I've been to that town and I have really still bad what was juju the name from of that it. Place again? Um it wasn't uh, it wasn't Mono- uh, there are so many crazy names in Wisconsin, not Marinette, not Menominee. It was um <laughs> It was. There's so a lot of really God. crazy names. Making a murderer no. hometown. Now I have to know. Yeah, yeah. Murderer. It's a, Man- a coastal. right? Oh, Manitowoc, yes.
1: Yeah, so that's. There's you that.
0: really. Manitowoc. It's.
1: Manitowoc.
0: They're so hard to pronounce. All of them are crazy. Yeah. Manitowoc, yes. And that's. No, all I like,
1: remember my my boyfriend had never been to the U.S. Um, before. We decided to do like a trip with his parents, uh, like a big like one of those. Um, rv trip through california and he just didn't know what to expect and dutch people don't really have a realistic image of the u.s like they have they think of americans as like a caricature of what they really are and they don't understand like how much diversity there is we started in san francisco and we went to like the sort of coastal um like in san francisco you have like a sort of like harbor area along the, and we went there with Ariane's family and Arjen and they were all like, whoa, this place is, it's like a, it's like a European city, you know, it's like, it's got so much, it's, it's so diverse. And we were all like, we really loved it. But then we went to small town America. And that was like, we went to a place called the Great Basin National Park. It's like this area, I don't know exactly where it is, but it's like a huge area isolated area and it was super beautiful but there were like these tiny towns outside of it with like these minuscule populations oh and so so sweet like the people there were so nice and and that i think is the most interesting thing like the big cities are really cool and, and it's very cool to, like, see how different everything is from the expectations and how diverse and how, like, unexpected it can be. But those small towns, like, we don't have anything like that here, I mm. think. The funniest thing was that we went to this Great Basin National Park and they had, like, um, this thing where you could... The, this passport, but it was like a just a little booklet that tourists could pick up and they could get a stamp in the town hall of each of those small towns. So we would go into the town hall and try to get a stamp. And then they would make small talk with the people there. And, um, and, and arian's parents were like, Yeah, we're going to Great Basin National Park. It's right around the corner. And they were like, What, what national park? There's a park, there's a park here. <laughs> they, they just like never left their town. right. They like never left their town.
0: They didn't even know
1: like why we were there.
0: <laughs> that is amazing.
1: Yeah, and the nature in America is also just incredibly impactful, especially for for people from the Netherlands. You know, the Netherlands is so small and so flat, and just there's not any mountains. And the nature that we have is very limited. And then we go to the U.S. and we're like blown away by the scale. You know, trees everywhere. So, so much mountains. space.
0: What is mountains, happening? Mountains. Everything. Yeah. Um, So mental and emotional well-being for artists during uncertain times is a topic I'm sure you've been thinking a lot about. I know I've been thinking a lot about it. A lot of my artist friends, it's breaking my heart, Uh, you know, hopping on phone calls with them, hearing about what they're going through and, you know, especially, and I don't know if there have been, um, if job loss, I'm guessing it's been a thing in the Netherlands as well, but it's really been a big thing here in the U.S. Um, So, so many people are just feeling anxiety at insane levels understandably and something I so appreciate about you is as you mentioned earlier you're so open which is wonderfully delicious and refreshing um about your just just your own reality and and um kind of how your mind processes things so real talk WTF is happening in the world <laughs> and um, do, would you mind giving us a little bit of an insight maybe even just into the Netherlands what what does life look like for you and maybe your community of friends and artists like what are the realities that you're facing and then we can kind of hop into the psychology of it all and what you're doing to cope and maybe what others can do to cope that kind of thing.
1: Uh, well here in the Netherlands it's
0: been kind of so
1: we were just talking about some Dutch culture stuff, right? And Dutch people are very like, they 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 consider themselves to be very like down to earth. Um, we use this term "nuchter," which means literally sober. But it just means like, it means, I guess, how do you say, down to earth, not making a big deal out of everything, keeping things low key, not getting over emotional, not getting over dramatic, which is for me shorthand for just ignoring any risks, problems, or emotions that people have. Somebody on Twitter said it, because I was complaining on Twitter about the Dutch culture, and they were like, oh, I have to find it. Let's see. Oh, here we go. The Dutch take a lot of pride in their nuchterheid, which is another word for bullheaded stubbornness in the face of genuine danger.
0: <laughs> I was like, that's
1: spot on. Oh. That is so true. Uh, somebody called Joachim Heindermans who wrote that, but um, that is what it's been in the Netherlands. So when this whole when it was happening in Italy, all of the Dutch politicians were like, "So obviously it's worse in Italy because we are just we're we have things much more under control. There was like no lockdown, no nothing. You know, the schools weren't oh, closed down." No waited a really long time to finally realize that this is like a big, big problem. And even now, like they're still saying things that are like, they're saying, yeah, kids probably don't spread the disease, you know, so kids can play in groups and you can have three visitors in your home. And there are all these weird rules that are like, I I don't know what they're, I don't get the strategy. I don't get the strategy at all. I, I guess they think that we Dutch are immune because we're Dutch, I have no idea. But um, so the it's been quite lax and it's been hard for me because Dutch people don't like to change and they don't like what they perceive as drama. So wearing like a mask in a store, people are looking at you like, what's your deal? You know, um, Aryan has asked people like, could you move a little further away from me? And they're like, what? No, you move. You know, they're like, they don't like being told what to do. They don't like being corrected. So... It's been tough to try to get into this, uh, you know, to, to, to feel like everybody's in this together. That feeling isn't really there. Um, so I've been like, you know, in the house, self-isolating. Arian has been in the house only doing groceries once a week. And people think we're very extreme uh, in our, how we're Maybe handling I, it. we are
0: going to weather the storm probably better than most. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think hope. if
1: everybody... I think we have a pretty good chance of still catching it if everybody's that's just so taking true.
0: it easy, you know, because the that grocery so stores
1: aryan has been every time he comes back from the grocery store he's like there was an old man coughing on everything. He's like shaking. Anyway, it's been <laughs> it's been crazy. This is going to
0: prolong it. Oh. Yeah, man, I that's mean, terrifying. We have
1: the numbers are hopeful at the moment. Like it's showing that the the deaths are still not good. But the the number of new people entering the hospital and entering the intensive care is is lowering, is plateauing, I guess, and going down. Um, so there's hope. I don't really know how um, if that's like a long-term thing, but. Um, so it's I find it very hard to be Dutch in a time like this like I wish when I look at how like Taiwan is doing it and how like Asian countries are just like being fucking serious about lockdown um, I wish that we could do could have done it that way here but we Europeans we think that we are somehow that the stuff won't happen to us you know and that I find so strange because it's like these countries, you know, we had there was SARS and there there was MERS and there there were all these outbreaks, avian flu, you know, um, that happened in Asia and we always thought like, Oh, that's something that happens over there and it won't happen here. And even when all the signs were pointing to it happening here, we were still like, Oh, it won't get so bad here. Why? Why won't it get so bad here, you know? I, I think we just always assumed that we were special or lucky or something, I don't know. There's like a kind of elitism happening. I think it's the last time though, you know, cause after this whole thing is over, like we're finally gonna have to admit that we're not like, we're just as vulnerable as any other place, you know? Um, So for the artist community, it's been rough because a lot of artists in the Netherlands depend on events to make money. So a lot of them go to, like, the Comic Cons. There are more and more Comic Cons every year. And a lot of artists go from one Comic Con to the next selling their stuff there. Um, Or they do – they give workshops and that kind of stuff. And that's all canceled. So it's been really hard. hard. Yeah. Oh,
0: man. It's devastating. um,
1: yeah, like a really good artist friend of mine. My, my best friend, Mena. Um, she's an artist. She does like live drawing, like live notes at events. So they do like these big corporate events, and she does like notes explaining the content and drawing the people who are there. And her income from from events is totally gone as well. Wow. So
0: that's so hard. That breaks my yeah. heart. And- yeah, I think I think it's the same in the U.S. And the unknowns of it, and, and I'm seeing so many artist friends, you know, suddenly trying to find what what can I do now? And yeah. it's just, it, it's so heartbreaking. Um, and yet, I I keep thinking, <laughs> if we could only know how much longer, which I I am a huge proponent of us doing it a little longer than we should be, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe that would help. Like, if we could just know how many months or how many more weeks of this there is before we can ease back into normal, you know, I feel like that would give people hope, but the unknown is so hard. And um, I'm curious, personally, you kind of gave us a little bit of a peek into kind of where your brain space is at, but how has the pandemic kind of affected your brain space and the thoughts that are taking up space and energy for you? And you have alluded to some of that, but I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on. Um, Well, it's been
1: pretty bad mentally for me. Like I have a lot of friends and people around me who struggle with anxiety, but I've never had a lot of anxiety. Like I've never had debilitating anxiety myself. Um, And now the roles are completely reversed. Like those Friends of mine are all like managing all right and I'm the one who's struggling with really bad anxiety because for the first time in my life I'm like super scared that people around me are gonna die my loved ones are gonna die that I might die that I might get sick like I'm really scared of of the disease affecting my life uh, taking you know bringing instability in my life I find it really hard to say as well right now because a part of my brain is like, I am going to die. You know, the chances are really high that I'm going to die and then this podcast will come out and people will listen to it and be like, Oh, so tragic. You know, like I'm so convinced that it's really going (laughs) to happen. Like I talk about this so
0: hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like a good friend of mine has OCD and she also has like anxiety. She's she's had this her whole life, right? She's like always afraid that people will die. And she was like, it's so weird hearing you say something that I thought most of my life, like with so much conviction, Addiction as well and she was like lois i hope you realize like there is no guarantee that it's going to go that way you know like and she kept told me all these he- mental health tips and advice that she sort of picked up throughout her years of therapy telling me how she deals with her with her mental state because what are, i'm what do this for the first time
0: yeah that have like really helped
1: uh she told me that like it's really hard to get get rid of the fear that something really bad will happen. Like someone, someone will die or you will die or, you know, the worst will happen. Like you can't really reason with that kind of fear. Um, And usually the treatment for people who have that in their daily life in a normal situation is to do a lot of exposure therapy, which means like exposing yourself to situations where you think, so there are people who think that like, you know, if they don't like, you know, count to three every couple minutes, their goldfish will die or whatever. And then they have to not do it and then see for themselves that their goldfish doesn't die. Right. So they have to kind of like test, um, test the, the reality of their beliefs. And, and my friend was like, well, now you can't really test the reality of your belief that you won't die because we're in a pandemic right? So there's like a limited ability to really question and there are lots of news messages and information coming in that does confirm that yes, we are in a dangerous situation. So you can't really like expose yourself and then be like, Oh, no, it's gonna be okay. So she said you have to weigh like your um, you have to weigh your fear against your ability to have a normal day-to-day life. So you have to look at like the real impact that the fear and anxiety is having on your ability to just live, like to work, to be happy, to spend valuable time with your loved ones, you know, and be So you have to constantly be aware that like, because something like a fear of death is so overwhelming. It's so like all encompassing that you kind of, and it feels so much more important that you don't even realize sometimes that that fear is like making your relationship unbearable or it's making like your ability to work unbearable right so you do have to like kind of let that fear go down a bit and then be like all right how realistic is it for me to like let that fear completely take away my ability to work what's more important in my day-to-day life so it's like weighing priorities i guess that's, cool. that's what she said that's
0: a good that's a good brain hack right there i love that
1: yeah i think it's also important to realize that it's like there's no I think it's the lack of control in my case, you know, feeling like there's no control over it. Like the control that we have feels so futile because it's so unpredictable. The situation is is so like volatile that like the lack of control creates all this, these anxious feelings. And those anxious feelings are an attempt to take the control back, you know, somehow thinking that if you think about it enough or ruminate on it enough that you'll be, ahead of the game or have some level of control over it. And it's important to realize that you don't have much control over it and you got to accept it rather than try to like, you know take it back by ruminating or mm-hmm. obsessing over it
0: normalizing the fear yeah so so. yeah beautiful. and I think talking about
1: it with others is very helpful because me and my big sister have been talking about it and her anxiety she's like total she's like me she's really similar that she just finds like the lack of control over it all very scary but then for some reason her anxiety manifests completely differently like she I'm, I'm scared that I'll get sick or someone I love will get sick and we'll die. And my big sister is scared that she, everyone will survive, but that it's going to devolve into a horrific apocalypse. And all the Americans that hoarded guns will like spill over the <laughs> Canadian border and like raid <laughs> like, loot and raid. And then she's going to have to like defend her home. And she has all these like crazy, she watched contagion. Oh
0: no. The oh, movie. <laughs> probably not a great <laughs> movie
1: choice at the moment but i get it <laughs> she watched it and like all of the sort of like crumbling society things really got to her and she's like it's the end, you know? And then when she says that, I'm like oh, it's so clear that like her fear is irrational. But then when i tell her my fear, i'm like my fear is rational, right? And so it's like by talking about it with others that you realize like that you know, there's no like inherent logic or truth to any of those fears, they're just fears, they're just anxiety about worst possible outcomes because the unknown is so it's actually scarier than any of these outcomes that we are thinking about.
0: Girl, preach the next uh talking point I had here was just more of an acknowledgement than anything. I think a lot of people you're so respected, and and a lot of people really care about what you have to say. So um, I just was wondering, can we acknowledge that really nobody has it together right now? (laughs) No matter how much they might seem to on Instagram, or, you know, in a perfect world, um, especially people, especially artists, And, and I think a lot of artists not to broad brush anyone, but do have a tendency because we love um, celebrating life and feelings, we have a tendency to feel things very deeply, especially things like anxiety. Um, so just an acknowledgement that none of us has it together. Lois, do you have it together? (laughs) I don't have it together. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: you heard me talk. I also posted a bunch of like messages about this, you know, about how I'm feeling. And I thought that I was like, you know, I didn't tell anybody that I'm scared that I'm going to die. Um, but I just said like you know this is stressing me out, and a lot of re- responses that I got were like, "Are you okay? You need to calm down. You need to chill." And I'm like, "They're feeling it. They they feel the anxiety that I have, you know." So, I think that people know that I'm the meme posting as well. You know, it's like
0: hundred percent. You're so. Open it's like about definitely it. an yes. expression
1: about of, of anxiety. But also something that I learned is like, okay, so everybody you know, not, not particularly now, but just in life is that, you know, there are different ways of coping with anxiety. And one of those ways is just straight up denial, you know, or, um, diving into something, different just to get distraction and and I know all about that because I'm a workaholic and the workaholic stuff is definitely a way to get away from other things that are that cause me more stress you know so I've I've done you know because I've had injuries before with my arm from drawing too much I've had to take a lot of breaks from drawing and then when I don't draw for a little while my main struggle is just feeling overly confronted with issues in my life that are numbed by working a lot you know So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like I've, I've, I've done enough work on it and I, and I know that like I'm in a healthy place, but I know that like, how much diving into like working and overachieving is just one of many ways of coping with like deeper anxieties and struggles, you know? So people who, I think the people who have it together now, who are like, wow, guys, time to build our skills and do like a bazillion Skillshare courses. And I have, you know, I'm going to do like, I'm going to learn so much and get fit. Those people are just also running away just as hard from, a horrifying reality, you know, in a very different way for me, but it works for them, right? they just get to numb it out. Like nobody can really like, you know, ignore right now what's going on anymore. So the people who seem to have it together, I think are just using a particularly productive way of coping with this, the exact mm-hmm. same fear. I think that we all have.
0: I love that you've done the pre-work and you has seems to me again, I always make assumptions when I say these things out loud. seems to me that for years you've been, you know, working through, uh, we all have demons for lack of a better term or challenges emotionally um, and mentally. Um, What are some of the things over time that you've already done so much pre-work that's probably set you up for some decent, um, healthy coping mechanisms?
1: um, Well, I've always been like interested in psychology and and in like these, you know, just how the brain works. Uh, That's always been a thing that I really liked. Thinking about, I'm very analytical. I'm like over analytical. Um, so that's always been a thing for me. Uh, I grew up in, you know, there were some issues in our family life growing up, um, and being very analytical uh, was my way of surviving that. So that's that was always like the starting point for me, um, trying to figure out how to cope with like emotionally difficult things. Um, and then as I sort of like build up my life, like my friends here in the Netherlands and my career, I, like I told you earlier on in the podcast that I'm really drawn to people who are open, right. Who tell a lot about themselves right away. So like the closest bonds that I have, like my closest friends are people who have been like brutally honest from day one and talked about the stuff that they struggle with. And we have like shared struggles that we talk about. It's not that it's, it sounds like all of my friendships are really dark and sad and we only talk about our deepest struggles. It's actually like I really connect deeply on the dark humor it level. Sounds so it's mostly sounds like just yeah. real. Like, yeah. yeah. And we laugh a lot. So, yeah. um, but, but uh, most of my friends, you know, have been very open from an early point on their struggles and I've been open about mine and, and over time I've really developed like a support system around me of people who, Um, you know, talk about those things, uh, and are open about them. And, um, so that's, I think the most important thing, if you have an immediate environment of, of of, like loved ones and people that you can fall back on who talk openly about that stuff, about their mental health, about their struggles and about, especially how that relates to their creative life that's really important because then you already have like, a, you know, a safe space to talk about that stuff. Cause like there are certain people who really don't like to talk about that stuff or think that it's like, you know, too, too emotional, too, uh, or that it's like too vulnerable. And then you don't really feel like you can start a, a conversation about that stuff. Um, and I also listen to like a lot of podcasts, right. Um, and like, a lot of them are like mental health podcasts as well. So I really like um, mental illness, happy hour. Yeah, it sounds really depressing, but that's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> and like, you know, like po- stuff that talks openly about that I, for me, like mental health is like my biggest interest outside of art, I think. And I think because there are so many overlaps, um, and because I've had such a rough time myself, like the first year that I went to uh, animation college was like, I think the hardest year of my life in terms of mental health, I was super depressed. And a lot of that had to do with not being able to express myself creatively because my teachers didn't like the kind of stuff that I like to do, right? So, and and a lot of my life now is built on the idea, like what did I need in that time? Because I was actually like completely lost. Uh, I didn't know how how to pick up my life again. I was really lost, really on my own. And now I always think like, what did I need to hear? What did I, what resources could have helped me at that time? And uh, that makes me realize how many people struggle with it. So like when I give my workshops, for example, I have a lot of people that all have little elements of that, like thinking, oh, what I'm doing isn't right. The kind of stuff that I like is, doesn't fit in the art community. There's no place for me in the art community. I don't know how to express myself. I'm emotionally stuck. I'm creatively stuck. All those things were things that I struggled with and I overcame them. And it, it motivates me so much to, um, like the idea of being able to give other people the kind of like help um, that I didn't have at that time. Motivates me like a lot. Um, so I always try to think of like a younger version of me and like what did I need and I think that's a really universal experience among artists. I think a lot of artists have, have had like rough times and needed some support that they didn't get and that they need to find.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. I love that you do that and that you have the ability to kind of, uh, suss out what people need to hear too. And that that's so cool. Um, some people I know, their biggest anxiety right now is their income. It's it might not be the virus. It might be, shit. I can't pay my rent. You know, <laughs> I have yeah. based my whole life on events or something that has been taken mm-hmm. away. And I know some people, the way that they deal with their anxiety is to try to fix it or try to do something that might help. Um, for, on the practical side of things, you know, so many full time artists live on a little bit of faith each each month, hoping that they'll kind of get by and they're feeling a lot of anxiety right now, um, we have acknowledged kind of the fear that they're probably feeling right now. But on a practical side, they may not be able to fix it today, but what are some ways that you tend to encourage, you know, uh, artist friends who may come to you for advice about, I need to diversify my income stream. Yeah. What are some things that you tend to share with them?
1: Um, so when things are going well, yes. okay. so like
0: outside of, a
1: you know, pandemic, <laughs> Truth. <laughs> what I would normally <laughs> advise people. <laughs> I think the, the, the advice I can give within this pandemic is simply survive, whatever it takes, right? Like, I cannot judge other people's situation. There's, I could never be like, yeah, you should do this or that, because I, there's no way like, of, of knowing like the extent of people's struggles right now. And I think just everybody just needs to survive. If you can survive, you're already doing an amazing job. Um, but outside of a pandemic, when there's time and headspace to think about your strategy and try to figure out how you want to move forward as an artist in your career, um, I think it's important. I always say, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. So, um, don't, don't think too much about like, Uh, You know, don't don't put all of your hopes your dreams your income into like one really specific area of the creative industry Um, And I always say like try to find your brand or your tone your voice uh, something about what you do what you want to say creatively that like transcends one specific medium or form of expression, right Um, because everything's always changing, right? So now there are a lot of people that are like fully focused on Instagram, for example. Like Instagram is huge. Um, Artists make a name for themselves on Instagram, find client work through Instagram. So you got a lot of artists doing the Instagram thing, which is like having one super consistent style or like only one color scheme that you use forever. Or, you know, only drawing one type of person that's popular on Instagram. And that is like putting all your eggs in one basket because if Instagram goes down, you lo- you lost it, you know? Like, you might have a lot of visibility on that one platform, but if that platform goes down or changes, and it will eventually, how are you gonna adapt to something new? And how are you gonna you know, us people in animation, like going fully into animation, becoming super specific at just storyboard art, for example, like, okay, what if your animation studio goes down? What are you going to do then? You know, like, so I think it's important to like not only have that area of, of expertise that you work in, but also think like, what's my own story, what's my own style, how can I adapt it to maybe a different department or a different studio, for example. Um, not to say that people who have like very specific skills in one area that that's bad, but I just think that it's like a good survival technique if you want to like roll with the changes is to think about like how you can take your skills that you have and elevate it above whatever specific platform or area of work you're focusing on right now. Because I think everybody has that ability, like everybody has like a, a something that they want to say or like a, an area, like a skill set that can be applied to different areas things but you got to find it it's deeper than whatever you're doing right now whatever like um focus you have right now it's it's like it's the story of you it's the story of what you create um it's kind of vague it's kind of vague to put it that way but how i do it specifically is like i have a style that works right now really well for character design of female characters and i'm doing a lot of that for games right now but i also have like you know uh illustration. So I could also adapt it to making like an illustration book. I can adapt it to tutorials. I can adapt it to, um, like selling prints. So there's like different ways that I can sort of like, um, you know, adapt my art to sell or to generate income in different ways. And I think everybody's everybody has that ability with their work. So that's that's what I always try to tell people, Um, and try to like sort of cultivate those different income sources as much as possible, so that you can kind of like roll into a different area if something falls away. So like a part of my income comes from events, and those are those have all been wiped out. Like I had to like a bunch of workshops got canceled and a bunch of events that I'm going to are probably canceled. So that income is gone. So then i change my focus to something else that I was doing, which was concept art. And that's something that I can luckily still do. And if that falls away, then I can focus on like, for example, teaching, but then virtually, for example. So That's, I think if you have different yeah yeah like I think if you have different areas that you can explore even if you've only explored them briefly and just sort of gotten your fingers into it you can fall back on it when things change. But I think right now in this current pandemic if the the problem is that everyone has limited headspace. So it's like not really a great time to make like big plans or think about how to restructure, like even being able to draw to begin with in a time like this is already a huge achievement. So uh,
0: yes, yeah. <laughs> I, when you said survive, really, that's the only thing that's important. Yeah. That was just so well put. And, and um, I think a lot of artists feel guilty
1: <laughs> by just oh, surviving.
0: Yeah. Um, I know I have a stupid guilt, and I think a lot of artists relate to this when I'm not producing something. And I often am not even producing anything for a client. I mean, occasionally, yes, but um, I, feel, I feel guilty if I'm just sitting around and binging Netflix and I'm not, you know, sketching something up. And so yeah. that is such such it's a great word of wisdom is survive first. Uh, Yeah.
1: And also binging Netflix, binging Netflix sounds like you're doing nothing, but you're, you're, you're doing so much. Uh,
0: That's so true.
1: Exactly. And processing and thinking. And sometimes what I noticed is for me, when this whole pandemic settled in, um, into my head as well, and it was so overwhelming and I was so depressed and anxious is that getting a little break from it was gave me the ability it's what sleep does right you like get out of whatever you're in and then you get a break and then you wake up and you can make sense out of it again you get like that little bit of space so even if binging netflix is what it takes you know whatever you need to like get a little break from the intensity of what's going on so that when you return to it you can you have a little bit more grip, a little bit more ability to make sense out of it, you know. I think seriously sitting around and doing nothing is like is also just A-okay. something <laughs> you need to do right now. You know? All right, yeah. <laughs> it takes so much it's... headspace to process things, just even to make sense out of it, even if, if if your whole reality is changing and the reality of the whole world is changing. Like you can't just you know think about that for an hour and then be like, all right, I I'm now adapted to this new reality. I'm good. Yeah. I, I, it makes sense now.
0: No, it takes lots of time. Some artists I know are loving the solitude. Like, um, I have, you know, some friends who are, they were born to to live in hermitage and, um, they are loving it. And they, the the thing that they're loving is they don't feel guilty about not being out and about, which is totally understandable. Um, but others are struggling me personally. I'm an ambivert, you know, half extrovert, half introvert, um, so I kind of have need the need to do both. What are you missing the most right now? And how are you coping? That's, I don't know. Like the thing is, I thought that I was fine, right?
1: I was like, okay, I can handle working at home. I've done this before. I've, you know, I've had lots of phases where I had like a very, like a practically non-existent social life. It just all my social life was on the internet, you know, I was like chatting with people all day. So I can do this. But then last weekend, I went to my office to pick up because I rented an office space, like 10 minutes biking from here. Um, In the Netherlands, distances are measured by the biking Mm. distance. (laughs) (laughs) We all bike all the time. Um, I went to go pick up some stuff because I'm moving like my, my workplace here to my home office because I just don't. You know, with all of I don't think it's really clear how contagious the virus is. so I don't want to be in the same space as what somebody else has been if I don't need to go there. So, um, and then I was in my office and I just had like this sudden aching heart feeling, like, but I didn't feel it when I wasn't there. But I went inside and I was like, God, last time I was here, like I saw the coffee cup and the notebook that I had used before. I freaked out and started staying home and I was like, Oh, I miss normal life. Like I miss feeling, but I didn't know it until I saw it. So I'm definitely somebody that can like sort of compartmentalize and push certain feelings away. But then suddenly I get hit by them really hard. Um, things like being able to visit my grandparents or Uh, you know, like my grand, my grandpa is not doing great. I think he's pretty much at the end of his life. He was that way before coronavirus came along, you know, but then the idea that like, I won't be able to really say goodbye to him if he got sick during this time or started to die during this time. Like, I, I don't know. Those are things that suddenly hit me really hard. But then when I'm not thinking about them, I'm just like, oh, this is my life now. You know, like I can really adapt very quickly to, um, this new reality of working from home because it's not that different from how I worked before because I I rent an office space outside of my house but it's like my own I don't share it with anybody else so I usually don't really see people you know most of most of the day I work alone and and I see Arian in the evening and then I have like um every couple of months or every well every month or two I have like a workshop or event where i have like a lot of social contact and meet like a lot of new people in a short time and really make friends and then i see people in the weekend but then throughout the week i'm quite on my own so it hasn't been drastically different it's just those events have fallen away and and now i see those friends all through skype and zoom i don't know though i think i think that i what i really miss the most is just like i'm i'm grieving like what it felt, what it was like to be carefree and um, be able to make decisions outside of this pandemic. When now every decision I make is weighed against the pandemic. So like if I have somebody reaching out, like a client saying, hey, can you work for me? I no longer think, oh, do I wanna work for this person? Do I have time? But I just think like I have to do it because I, I can't like say no to income right now because crisis is coming you know, or like leaving the house. I'm like, is it calm enough outside and making food being like, what do I want to eat today? Instead of just thinking like, what do we have in the pantry? And, you know, it's just like this kind of, uh, that's what I had the hardest time with when I, when it hit me in early March is that I, I was like, wow, the, the, the world as we know it is, is ending and it's never going to be the same again. And that made me so, so sad.
0: The word grief is a good word. And yeah, I am always afraid to go there. Like uh, cuz um I quickly go <laughs> from 0 to 60. Yeah. But it is such a good word to describe. We're all experiencing our own version of it and I'm just processing what you said out loud. And yeah. you're right. Yeah, it, it's and I think part of me wants to be like no no no. No no. We can we'll be able to get back to normal after this, but we really won't. And and accepting that and processing it is is so healthy. That's that's good yeah. stuff. What have we um, not talked about maybe in regards to mental health or anything else that you want to chat about?
1: Um, well, I have like some, some things like I, so the workshop that I give, um, is focused on like intuitive digital workflow is what I call it. And that basically means like, you know, um, how can you, the thing that I think is, um, a common, mistake in digital art is that people overthink it because there are like a bazillion tutorials out there and there are tons of resources and like filters and tools and like new things that come out like grids, 3D, this and that, um, that I think are like all very useful if you need them, but like it can be totally overwhelming. Um, And a lot of people get stuck with digital art because they, you know, when they draw on paper, they just like doodle mindlessly or like take it easy with the watercolors or whatever. Uh, For me, it's the other way around. I overthink when I use traditional media, but a lot of people are used to having like a simple nice workflow on paper and then they go to digital and it's like bam too much information right like totally overwhelmed and i try to teach in my workshop that it doesn't have to be too complicated that you can just kind of go with the flow you shouldn't or you should try to like avoid overthinking as much as you can because uh only that way if you if you get into a mindset of like okay what works for me what do i like doing how can i just like kind of wing it um, that's when you find the tools that are most useful for you and the workflow that's most useful for you. If you're, if you're going into it with, like, what is what am I capable of? Like, which tools, like, how can I use every single tool and find out which one works? Then I don't think you can find a flow from there. I think you're just sort of testing software. Um, and uh, it, I think that that workflow kind of is, um, there are some aspects of that workflow that I think are good if you're drawing during a time like this and your headspace is up. And you don't have a lot of like room in your head to like analyze or make big plans or think very far ahead. So you don't really have the headspace to be like, all right, this is my massive project and I'm going to world build everything. But instead just thinking like, how am I going to, I have half hour. I'm just going to doodle mindlessly. I think it's important to, um, if you're going to do that to just like draw without thinking You know what I mean? So that's what I really recommend that artists try to do right now, is try to cultivate that skill of drawing without thinking too much. Um, Even if, you know, for everybody that can be different. For some people, they really like to just draw lines, you know, sketches, and kind of like add detail gradually. And for me, it's painting. I like to just render and paint, and it's sort of like a sensory experience, and then I don't think too much. And I really think that, if you know what that is for you to just do that during this time, try to draw without thinking too much and you'll find a flow in there. You'll find like a kind of um, like a mental state of calm and just falling back on automatic behavior and it'll clear up some room in your head and then you can create and draw without being like so hard on yourself and without setting all these unrealistic and unattainable goals that are that are not manageable during a time like this absolutely
0: and where can people find this workshop i'll make sure to link to it in the show notes so i'm doing a live demo kind of thing next week oh, sweet. on
1: uh thursday all oh, right And, uh, I'll be talking about this. So I'll be talking about like what kind of workflow aspects are helping me now. And, um, like what are some things to consider in a time like this before you start drawing things like, you know, should you even be drawing right now? And like, you know, how, like how, how, high do you have to set your goals when you're already like struggling mentally?
0: Um, I, I can't wait to tune in. Sounds rad. Cool. <laughs> uh, that we have made it. You've made it to the end of the, the maze of questions. I am a proud Patreon supporter. Love what you're Thank doing you so there. much. Um, and if you want to talk about that or anything else, where where can we follow your journey and support you?
1: Um, well, I always appreciate if you could follow me on Instagram. If you don't follow me on Instagram already, that that would be great because that's where I post the most and that's where I I. I like post all my memes once a week or something like that. Like my latest memes. <laughs> I even have a story highlight. It's like a all of curated list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the ones that I relate to the most. <laughs> so, um, and, and, uh, Patreon is where you can support me. It's just, there's, it's just a $5 a month tier. Um, I think in, it depends on how much tax they add to it. Uh, it could be a little bit over $5, but, um, that, that's where I post, like, that's where you see my art, um, the first place where I post my art, so you see it before it goes on social media, and I try to share, like, as much process video as possible, and tips, and advice, and step-by-steps, and that kind of stuff.
0: I love watching your your sketch videos in real time, because so many people, you know, post time-lapses, which I also appreciate, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's so cool to see you perfecting the lines and getting them to where you want them to be. I, I really appreciate those process videos, they're so cool.
1: Yeah, a lot of people are saying that they wanna see more stuff in real time. So I think I'm gonna do like a sketch uh, like a sketch session and just like post the real time video so you That's can cool. see how I, how I do that. I
0: dig it. Thanks so much Lois, for supporting me there. Yes, of course, girl. And I'm gonna make sure that there are links in the description so folks can quickly and easily Uh, get there. But this has been a treat. My friends, thank you for spending um, your Saturday afternoon with me. Yeah, I mean, it's been great. It feels like...